Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. So, so what I just did now, I, I always smile because I remember doing um, a friend's wedding, this guy, uh, Thomas, Thomas and Shino, if you guys know them, and at the time, there was a bunch of things that wasn't, wasn't right with the picture of me being up there, because I'd, I'd done music, and then I put my guitar down, and I went round, and then people also heard that I was unmarried at the time. So I remember all the elders kind of looking at me like this, like, why are you here? So every time I come down from there, I smile. So <clears throat> when, I was, when I was back at the village, right, um, every, every for those of you who don't know, if you're a Herero child, holiday starts. Actually, the day that holiday starts, you come out of school a little bit early, and your dad is there waiting. The bucky is packed with a little space like this for you, you to sit in, right? It's packed to the brim, and you're being shipped off to home or the work camp. <laughs> and so I remember... Uh, being 11 years old and, 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 and not enjoying a lot of the days except for the last part. So after, after we've done all the work, the cows have come in, we've sent them out. It's starting to cool. The guys about a kilometer away would come over and we would play soccer. And, and it was a, a little bit of a league. I'll say that, but it was just two teams going back and forth. And I remember every week, every week it was really exciting because it was, it was very evenly matched. So one week they would win, the other week we would win. And the, the village they came from or the, or the plot that they came from was one that my dad used to farm at with my uncle. So that was my uncle's plot. And my dad got his own little space. And so now we've got two teams fighting for the position. Most prestigious soccer prize in all of our village. <laughs> Uh, but I remember some of the guys who would play on our team, every now and then, they would have a really bad performance. And there was one guy who had migrated to our team just that year. I know season, seasons were, were tough, and you know that transfer period is a very tight time. And he had moved over. And I remember our last game. This is, this is right, after, right after New Year's. Now you, 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 you get ready to go back. And we had one last game. This was on the Saturday, because Sunday we're going back to Vintuk now. One last game. And I remember this one guy, his name was Kai Muno. And on that day, <laughs> he, who was a brilliant soccer player, played rubbish, absolute rubbish. And it seemed like he was just giving them the points. And at the end of the game, he went over and he celebrated with that team and we realized has been a traitor in our midst all this time, that they secretly planted him. We thought we were getting a good player, the top player. Meanwhile, a whole spy came into our ranks. This is, some, this is someone who's destroying us from the inside, and it's the easiest way to take a team apart. Right? Our, our passage today we're looking at is Romans 7, and it's Paul expressing the same thing. This enemy on the inside and we're going to start from Romans 7, verse 15. And he says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. 
Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that's good. And Paul is saying, Paul is this super missionary, and, and we're in Romans now with our, with our reading, or just finishing Romans, uh, we just finished it yesterday. But before that was Acts. And as I read through Acts, I just hear this incredible obedience to God. That even when there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a moment where he comes to this town, and the believers who are there, there's a, there's a man among them who sees a prophecy and says that you're going to be tied up and, and, and led to be judged and possibly to be killed. And Paul, he's not even bothered by this because he's been told by God, this is where you need to go. So you see this extreme obedience even in the face of danger, of losing his own life. We see him obey God every step of the way. There are some times where he's so zealous for God that God even had to stop him at some point. Like, no, don't go there. This is not part of the plan. I know you're very excited. You really want to obey me, but come back this way. Right? But this is Paul. And so when he, when he says this, this super missionary, the, the writer of, the New Test, uh, of a lot of the New Testament, is sharing this struggle. This man who seemed to be the epitome of obedience has had these moments. And that, that really strikes me. This time as I'm reading through, this really hits me as I read through Romans. Like this is Paul, and he's saying this. We often have these ideas and images of who people are. You, might, you may come to church and, and speak to people and think to yourself, oh, that is such a great Christian. That is an amazing person. Maybe you hear someone, as, as you pray together, you hear them pray, and you're like, wow, that is quite the prayer. Right? Or you see them do something, right? An, an, an outpouring of their relationship with Jesus. And in our minds, we maybe think this person is perfect. Right? We put them on a pedestal. This happens, and, and, and if you've been following a lot of what's been happening with a lot of the big mega churches, quite a few people, quite a few leaders have fallen. They've had moral failure. And you've seen these churches get ripped apart, and people decide... I'm no longer going to this church because of one person's failure. Maybe it's because we have the expectation that these people up there should be perfect, right? And that's a huge mistake. And people have even left, not only left their church, but said, if that guy messed up, I'm leaving the faith. We've experienced that. We've, I'm, there are people here who know people who have made that choice because of the way believers acted. I will leave the faith. Before I was a believer, that's one of, the, one of the excuses I had. I remember being at Delta and knowing a few kids who went to YWAP, and then <laughs> we would go and meet at the same club, right, where we're all not allowed to be because we're underage. We all meet at the same place, and I would think to myself, and I would say when they would invite me, I'd be like, yeah, but your life is exactly like mine. Why would I go to this place? That was my excuse, but I didn't understand this. Romans 3 verse, verse 23 says this so clearly, for all have sinned. And it says all, not some, um, not the average believer, but all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Every single one. And Paul, Paul speaking about this, about this struggle in, in, in this earlier passage in Romans puts a, a proper perspective of how we should look at ourselves, but also at, at other believers, right? We need to stop putting unrealistic expectations on other believers, on other Christians. 
right? We need to expect them to make mistakes. We need to expect, you need to expect me or any other believer to have a gap in their character somewhere. Because that's who we are. We're fallen. Which means, uh, and this is, this is one thing that I remember uh, there were two, two girls who came to YWAP and they were, they were very close friends. And the one came to YWAP first and she led her friend to Christ. She brought her friend to YWAP. And then she went on a whole, like kind of a wild life. And this friend who she brought to YWAP cut her off completely, said, I don't want to be your friend anymore. I'm not going to speak to you anymore because of what your life looks like and what that may look like to me and what, what it, it may, pe- may make people think I am as well, right? But this is from an understanding that, that her friend needed to be perfect, right? We need, to, we need to make sure we don't write people off because of the mistakes that they've made. Now hear me when I say this, I'm not saying don't confront, because as believers, that's what we're supposed to do. If our brother or our sister is messing up, it's actually on us to say something. It's on us to correct them. It's on us to help them, but not cut them off. Now there are examples where there's things like abuse, there's, there's, there's a danger, the physical harm that may come, or maybe it's, it's someone who may pull you into sin that you can't resist, in that case, then it's wiser to, 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 to break connection with them just for that sake. And this, this, is, this is one, and this is something that as, as, as I've grown older, I've, I've realized. You know how when you were younger, you'd look at the way your parents did things? You'd be like, you know what? When I am an adult, I'm going to change all of this. Right? These mistakes that they're making, I'm not going to make them. Right? I look at my mom now, and I think she, is doing, she was doing so much better than I am right now. Right? She has a whole lot more under control. She's, she's done amazing. Right? But children, believing children, you need to realize that your parents are flawed too. Right? that they need the grace of God just as much as you do. So cut them some slack. We also can put unrealistic expectations on ourselves. When we do mess up, that we condemn ourselves, that we punish ourselves. Do you ever, when when you mess up, instead of coming straight to God and asking for forgiveness, trying to do a few things first before you come into his presence? I'm just going to do two times a Bible reading and then I'll walk into his presence. Or maybe I'll go help a friend who's in need first, right? And then come into his presence. We disqualify ourselves from doing God's work because we feel like we're not worthy, because we've messed up. Here's Paul, this missionary, doing amazing things for God's kingdom. And he's saying, I'm messing up. He even says, Somewhere else that I've got a thorn in my flesh. Possibly, some say it was a sickness. I think it was a temptation that just would not go away, a recurring sin. That it just does not go away. And Paul is saying this, and he says this here. I don't understand myself. And as, as I read this, when you read this, I see frustration as he's writing. 
I see him going like, I'm doing this again. What is wrong with me? The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I shouldn't do, those are the things I do. But our expectation of ourselves is that we will mess up. That we do fall short. We are not Christ. We are not God. So that means that uh, we need to trust in who God says he is. That that song that we sang, our worth is not in what we do, in how we act, but in Christ, in his sacrifice. And it's his grace that, that makes us right with him. Not anything we do for him, then nothing can detract from that love that he has for us. But that grace is constant. So we need to trust in that, right? We need to, to, to stop questioning whether if I mess up one more time, am I really saved? I know sometimes you go through sin, I've gone through this, where you're messing up so bad, you even ask yourself, am I really a believer, right? Why, aren't, why isn't this thing catching? It continues in Romans 7 verse 17, and it says, it says this, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul now highlights this, and as you read this, you can breathe a, a sigh of relief. And Paul is saying, the first time I read this, it sounded like, you know the, the, the first time you read the Bible as, as a new believer? You, I was reading it very raw. So as, as I was reading some of these things, I'm like, this sounds like a crazy person. Like he's got two sides in him. What's going on here? Is he schizophrenic? What's going on here? And, but, but Paul is, is mentioning something that is a spiritual reality that happens when we come to Christ. He isn't the one that's committing the sin. It is his sinful nature, right? Another name for this is called the flesh. We've heard this many times. Have you heard the saying, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak? Jesus said that. And I've heard that many times from different people, believers or not, in many different and interesting contexts. But this is true, right? Paul understands that he is a new creation, but he's not disconnected from his earthly self. Right? That this is a process that starts and it's going to extend until we see perfection, when we see Jesus face to face. But we will struggle with this every single day until then. And this was prophesied about even in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 to 27 says this. This is God speaking to the Israelites who are in exile. But this is one that echoes to every single person. This is what he desires. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from, uh, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in, in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God had promised this already before Jesus had come, that I'm going to change you in a way that you've never been changed before. Worship is going to happen within you, not, not something that you go and do at the temple. 
and I will change your heart that you will desire to do the things that I'm calling you to do. I'll write the, my law on, on your heart. So he promises this. And there's a, there's, a, there's a transformation that happens. I remember when I gave my life to Christ, I was, um, I was studying. And um, my roommate, who was, who's with me, is this guy called Corrin. And um, he, he, he's a Muslim. And we're roommates. And I, and I remember when we got to college, saying, I'm trying to be a good Muslim. So as me and our other flatmate did all sorts of nonsense, spoke uh, in crude ways, He'd be like, no, guys, I'm trying to be a good Muslim. Keep your filth on that side. But I remember when I gave my life to Christ, like I didn't even realize that all these things that were changing. I remember one night, probably about two weeks after I gave my life to Christ, Corian saying to me, I don't understand. I said, what do you mean? Like, I don't understand. Like, I've been trying to be a good Muslim since we're in grade 11. And now you just choose in two weeks, all this stuff is happening. He was, he was saying this was with happiness, but also with frustration. Like, why? What is going on? I tried to explain to him in my, in my vast wisdom that I had piled up in the two weeks of being a believer, what was going on. Uh, but it just didn't click. But this is what was happening. God was transforming me. And I wish that all the evil in my life disappeared. All my bad thoughts all my, my, my wicked intentions, but they haven't. But the distinction between who we were and who we are now is our intention and our desire, right? Ephesians 2 verse 3 describes who we are before. It says, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. That this was what we were obsessed with, satisfying our desires, right? All sorts of things. And all our desires, apart from God, are selfish. They're self-seeking. And they're destructive. This is who we were and this is what we were controlled by. When we come to Christ, it says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God is saying, this is your new identity. This is who I'm making you. But you've still got that sinful body tied to you. All right? And the thing about our God is, he knows our intentions. He knows the desires of our hearts. All right? We look at a, a character like King David, right? It says, this is the man after God's own heart. Who was he? Right? This man was violent and filled with lust. Right? And, and you know Uriah who was killed was one of the faithful men who was with him when he was in exile, when he was trying to escape Saul when Saul is on his tail. This is one of the men that was with him. Right, the person who was with him in the hardest of times. And he sees his wife and sleeps with his wife and then doesn't come to him as someone who is probably a close friend and say, hey, I messed up. He says, no, I need to hide this. Which eventually leads to his murder. He's sent to the front line 
where, where fighting is the hardest so he can be killed. And then when he dies, it's, it's not like David even waits a bit. He's like, okay, Bathsheba, come. You're, you're coming to my house now. Right away, right? Tears probably haven't even dropped from her cheeks. It's like, okay, you're in the palace now, right? So wrapped up in his sin and in his lust. This is the man after God's own heart. But God understands, God knows his nature. God knows his desire. God knows his nature, which is sinful, but it also knows his desire. If you read the Psalms, you see this very open and raw relationship with God. I often read the, the Psalms that David wrote. I say, I wish my relationship with God was like that. I wish I was as open as that. And I'm always praying and asking God, make me like that to where I can just speak my mind with you. Why I can come to you the way you are calling me to come to you. There's a huge difference in the way that God sees us. And it's because of this. It says in Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9. This I often forget when I'm messing up. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. When we sin, in those moments, we often condemn ourselves, but we need to remember where God says, where our salvation is placed in. Not in, not in, it's not our responsibility, it's not our actions that keep it. We don't receive the salvation and then have to hold on to it by doing good works. But God says, this is my grace. It's me, it's me, it's me. It's my grace, it's not your efforts. Paul continues in Romans 7 and says, So if I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil... Uh, sorry. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of the Lord, in my inner being. But I see my members, my body, another law, another, in my members, another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin, that dwells in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The first time I read this, I thought, okay, but he said he's now a servant of Christ and free from that. Why is he saying that he's a slave to sin? But he makes this dis distinction. He says that his member, his body, his flesh, that is the slave to sin. That will continue to tempt us. There will always be a war in our mind. We will desire to obey God, but the flesh will want to run after the sinful desires. That will always be with us. Someone explained to, to, it to me like this. I remember after, after that very zealous period where you feel like you're super holy as a believer, and then you mess up and you're back down to reality, a guy saying, saying this to me says, you have a, a, a sinful desire, right? And think of it as two fighters, right? The one fighter from the moment you were born has been fed and trained, right? All this time, right? It's all the evil that we learn that we don't even need to be taught, right? I always joke with the Y-Wappers. I say, we're all evil. No one ever tells their children, okay, now I'm going to give you instructions on how to lie, you need to make sure it's believable, right? You need to make sure it's short so no one picks it up. Right? No one's ever doing that. There's no parent who's ever doing that. In fact, many times as a small child, when you tell a small child to lie for you, 
secret comes out. I've heard my siblings say, um, my mom told me to tell you she's not here. <laughs> but after a while, we just naturally do it. No one ever teaches us. That this is, this is this person who's being trained and trained and trained and trained. So this guy said to me, you're 18 years old now. You're about to turn 19. For 19 years, this guy has been trained. He's been training. And this new person that you are is a little baby, a couple of months old. God empowers you, but just remember that you're still in training. And hopefully, as you, as you stick close to him, as you listen to your trainer, as you do all the exercises he's asking you to do, if you eat all the nutritious food he's asking you to eat, your, your, your inner man, that, that, that person that you are, the new person, will become strong and can fight and can win some battles. But he said, but that man is always being trained all the time because evil is all around it. And it's almost like our sinful nature doesn't even, it just absorbs stuff, right? You just, it just touches and absorbs where the, 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 the new creation, we really have to work at it. You really have to grind every single day, right? So he says, this is what is going on. So don't, don't get upset, don't give up, continue. Trust that your God is going to build you up. Trust that what he says in his word when he says that he who started a good work will complete it. Trust in Hebrews when he says he's the author, the one who starts it, and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. And that in this time, he will work you towards that. And I think it's, um, I had this plan to go through a whole battle plan and everything like that. But I think what we need to do first is come to a place of confessing to God, right? Understanding who we are. I love Psalm 51, and every time I feel like I've messed up badly, I read this psalm, and it puts me in the right place. When you read about what happened with, 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 with David and with Bathsheba, that child that was conceived from that sin, God said, this child will die. And David grieves, and he's weeping before God and praying. And, but he realizes in his heart that he's the one who has sinned. Before that, when Nathan called him out, when he says, I found you out, I know what you've done, he broke down and said, I'm sinful, I'm wretched. He understood who he was in that moment and who he was before God and how he had messed up. I think it's very important for us because God gives us the grace to fight the flesh. But if we don't understand that we need his grace, we try and do it in our own strength. Say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix it this time. I'm getting up. I'm going to do it right this time. But what we need to do first is to come to God and say, I've messed up. And I can't fix this without you. So let's, let's, let's read this psalm together. I'll read it. And, and after I read it, I'm, I'm, I want us to go into a time of prayer. Just where you are, speak to God. Pray this prayer. And, and if you don't feel like you've messed up, there's a part in there that covers that as well. <laughs> right? So Psalm 51, it reads, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, 
blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may just be justified in your words and be blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. O God, renew the right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold, with, uh, uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I'll teach, your trans, uh, teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness. O God, O God of my salvation, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. And that last verse really hits me when I feel like I haven't messed up. Because if I do, then I know it's pride. I don't have this broken and contrite heart. It's that story of, of that, that parable that Jesus told of the tax collector and the religious teacher, who as they came to pray, the tax collector is, has just torn his clothes and is so broken by his sin and is crying out to God, God, please forgive me. And the religious teacher looks over to the guy and he prays and he says, thank you, God, that I'm not like this tax collector. This is a heart that is proud, that is far away from God. Because if we're close to God, if we see how perfect he is, it highlights how fallen we are. So as we, as, as we pray this, if you're, if you're feeling like you haven't messed up, feeling like you're A-OK, -okay, pray that last part. Right? Say to God, reveal to me how I've messed up. And this is not to guilt trip you. But part of this Part of this is saying to God, create in me a clean heart. It's saying to God that I understand that it's not my work. It's you who cleans me. It's you who makes me right. So spend some time praying. Um, I'll go up and I'll just uh, play. And when, we, when I start to sing, then we can join together in worship. I'll close our time. This is Rico Veca, and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today. And it is my hope that you'll join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.